Good morning. I'm uh, excited to be joined by this uh, this fantastic uh, cast of individuals, and we're here to talk about myopia at a little bit greater length. I want to thank uh, Jonathan, Laurent, and Patrick for setting the stage for us, and also uh, for the uh, for the committee who uh, asked us all to be here. Um, my name is Dave Kading. I practice in Seattle, Washington. I have three practices, and uh, we focus on myopia, uh, dry eye, and uh, specialty contact lenses in my practice. And having done myopia for 15 years, we certainly see how this area of eye care is poised to explode in the next five years. And I'm really excited for, uh, for where we're going and uh, where we've already come. And I'm uh, excited for the panel to share with you some of their perspectives as well. I also serve as a consultant and an advisor to various eye care industry uh, folks. So much of the focus of uh, what we do today in eye care is about stopping uh, diseases like glaucoma, macular degeneration, and retinal disease. These conditions threaten the sight of millions of patients, and the prevalence of these diseases continues to rise. We have to find a way to reduce the risks of patients getting these diseases, and that starts with our pediatric population in doing so now. We cannot be short-sighted about the importance of this. No pun intended, of course. Myopia is, of course, on the rise. In one study during the pandemic, we saw the prevalence of myopia in six-year-old children go from 5.7% in one year, and the next year, the prevalence of six-year-old children with myopia shot up to 21%. That's nearly a 16% increase in the prevalence of myopia in just one year. And this is continuing everywhere, including my practice and Dr. Clark's practice. Myopia is projected, as we heard already, to affect 50% of the global population by 2050. And uh, there's great fear that it will become the most common cause of irreversible blindness worldwide. The reason for this is that with each prescription change, the eyeball gets longer and gets stretched. To put this in perspective, patients who are over the age of 75 having eyeball sizes or axial length of 24 to 26 millimeter, their risk of visual impairment of 2040 or worse vision is 3.8%. Now, if you take that same group of patients having a 30 millimeter eyeball size, their risk of visual impairment shoots to 90%. And what I've observed is I've started looking at my own patient base who are over the age of 60 and 65, the patients who have these visually altering conditions, by and large, have larger size retinas or larger sized uh, uh, axial lengths. I think we have ignored this, particularly because these patients are having cataract surgery and we don't think of their refractive error. There is hope. If we can slow myopia by even one diopter, we can reduce the likelihood of developing myopic maculopathy by 40%. And we have proven treatments that slow the progression of myopia by well over 50%. The FDA approved soft contact lenses uh, that, uh, that Rajiv is gonna talk about, off-label overnight orthokeratology lenses. These are lenses that 
children and adults, I wear these lenses, wear while they're sleeping at night and give fantastic refractive correction. And of course, the off-label atropine eye drops that already are available in the United States. But we have hope as well with many other products hitting the market in 2023. I'm excited to have this diverse panel along with me, and uh, I'd like to start off with introductions uh, with Matt, Rajiv, and Dr. Clark. Could you gentlemen introduce yourselves, and then uh, we'll jump into some questions. Hey, I'm Robert Clark. I'm in private practice in Long Beach, California. I'm also an associate clinical professor of ophthalmology at the Stein Eye Institute at UCLA. I've been doing myopia management probably since uh, the 90s, really. Uh, Rajiv Garg, uh, I'm with Cooper Vision at, uh, as a global head for myopia management strategy. Been uh, there for about two and a half years in this space, uh, but been in the you know, eye care space or industry for 10, 15 years. You know, prior to this, I was uh, more on the ophthalmology side, helping you know the older patients with cataract trying to get better vision. Now I'm with the helping the children get better vision for much longer life style as well. So thank you. It's an honor to be with you guys on the panel, and David, thanks for inviting. Hi, Matt Erding. I'm the CEO co-founder of a company called Treehouse Eyes. We're the leader in treating myopic children here in the U.S. Uh, we've got about 70 clinics around the country that focus on treating pediatric myopia every day. And I've been in the industry about 20 years and also the father of a 12-year-old who is myopic and been in treatment for about three years. So it's very personal to me. Absolutely. Uh, so I host a, a program called the Myopia Podcast, and uh, I do so because I'm just not all that bright, and so I like to learn from people that are very, very intelligent. And as you can tell, we've got that group here on the panel. Um, so let's start off with where we are right now. Um, to the panel, what is something that is occurring now in the world of myopia management in the eye care space that you think many people may not be fully aware of? I think the biggest thing that's going on right now is increased parent awareness. I think probably from some industry efforts as well as some of the news articles, big article in the Atlantic and other places about the myopia pandemic, people are much more open to myopia management to come to your office. There's quite a bit of dialogue on places like Facebook and next door, is myopia disease or not? Some people say yes, some people say no. How do you manage it? There's always been a pretty strong interest in the Asian community, but now it's extended to other ethnic groups as well. Yeah, I'll maybe add to that. When we launched Treehouse Eyes six years ago, we made a big push in the Washington DC area to get pediatricians engaged in this discussion. And it was very difficult, uh, wasn't very fruitful, but interestingly, our team's gone back out over the last few months and pediatricians, to Bob's point, many of them have heard of this uh, and they're much more interested in thinking about how they can help and how they can participate. Um, so I think a lot of the industry efforts, GMAC, CooperVision, J&J, et cetera, have been incredibly helpful. We still have a long way to go, to be clear, but just that front line of defense that parents trust with pediatricians, having them on board is, is huge. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with that. Uh, if, I, if I were to add, David, to this, uh, you know, of course we have now, you know, well-approved products available, like an FDA-approved products, China-approved products, but just beyond the, like, you know, the parent education and, like, you know, the, the solutions being available, what I'm seeing is, 
the whole ecosystem coming together. I think Patrick talked about societies like American Academy of Ophthalmology. You know, you talk about World Society of Pediatric Ophthalmology, it's in their consensus statement. You talk about Australia and New Zealand Society, it's in their consensus statement. You know, you you talked about CDC, you know, you talk about, you know, all the uh, efforts like GMAC. So it's a whole ecosystem of industry with the products, the parent awareness, societies, professional societies. It seems to coming across which is like, you know, it's building. It's like a, almost like a, you know, awakening that's happening, uh, which I think is going to, for the next few years, going to drive a lot of, lot of kids uh, to be saved from myopia. Um, you know, I'll add to that in that uh, one of the things I think that we're missing in the eye care space particularly is the lack of an ability and a willingness to call myopia a disease. For example, as an, an optometry school, I was celebrated as a 1.5 diopter myope because of think of all the benefits that that will yield me when I get to be gray like I am now. Um, you know, I'm going to have a great uh, the ability to take off my glasses and see perfectly up front. But nobody told me I have a two times greater risk of developing glaucoma. Nobody told me I have a two times greater risk of developing macular degeneration. And those things will certainly not be celebrated. And so as I think about my children and kids in our practice, I think we have to understand those implications of what myopia really yields for it. Now, several of you mentioned GMAC. Uh, Matt, can you share a little bit more about uh, GMAC and what it's doing in this awareness? Sure, thanks. We started GMAC in 2019. It was a coalition at the time of about nine companies in the eye care space that came together with one mission, and that was educate the public about childhood myopia and treatment options, because that was the big gap in the marketplace is Every day at Treehouse Eyes, we'd see parents come in, we'd start their kid on treatment, and they'd always say the same thing. Why haven't I heard about this before? And so it was really unique, and, and GMAC still is unique today. It's up to about 17 organizations, so companies, associations. They're not engaged in clinical. They're not engaged in what treatment is better. They're not engaged in should you go see an optometrist or an ophthalmologist. Uh, it really is about public education of this as a disease that is now treatable because as a parent, you want that information. You want to be able to make a decision if you want to start treatment for your child. And so I've been really pleased with the support of Cooper Vision J&J, uh, SLR Luxottica, many of the companies that are involved, big and small, who have bonded together to do this. And they've been running campaigns for the last two and a half years in the US uh, on public awareness, like Bob mentioned. I think that's one of the impacts we're seeing, but also ran our first campaign this summer in the UK as well. Yeah, I think as we look at myopia worldwide, the perspective and the perceptions of myopia's impact is a lot different. For instance, in, uh, in China, if you graduate from primary school, nine out of 10 children have myopia. So it's something they know about, right? In the United States, about 50% of our population is myopic, but in children who are graduating primary school, that number is continuing to rise, and we are set and poised to be far more myopic 10 years from now than we are right now. So the importance of sharing this information with GMAC and with us as in the ophthalmology and optometry communities is so, so very important. So let's start to look into the future and what do you see coming in the next only two years in the myopia space that you think is exciting? Uh, Dr. Clark, let's start with you. Well, there's really two major developments. You heard from Sid Dexis as another 
low-dose atropine product that's going to be FDA-approved fairly shortly. It's going to have pharmaceuticals FDA-approved for this purpose within the next few years, as well as optical appliances here. The optical appliance is going to be a game-changer. It's one thing to talk to a parent about a, an eye drop, a drug for their young child who may not appreciate getting eye drops, or contact lens, you know, which they may not be able to tolerate, versus, hey, you know, the current glass technology may actually be making your children's eyes worse by making the periphery too sharp. If you have this periphery focus, you'll actually correct their vision and not make their eyes any worse. In fact, control the myopia. Those are two big game changers that can expand the audience tremendously for people who benefit this technology. Yeah. Yeah, if, uh, David, if I can add, like, so I think in the, in the U.S., you know, outside the U.S., we have all these solutions available in the U.S. Those are the two sort of game changers. Uh, and then uh, if I look outside the U.S., then there are a lot of these uh, technologies that are starting to show up, you know, uh, beyond these, you know, optical or pharma interventions, one that uh, Laurent talked about is like, you know, digital technologies. There are red light uh, therapy technologies and, you know, all kinds of solutions are being proposed in there. So I think, you know, uh, if I look at uh, U.S., those two will be the big game changers. Outside the U.S., there are more different types of technologies that are starting to get adopted, and hopefully they'll show up in this uh, space as well. Yeah, I think the product side's been covered well. I'll talk about the ecosystem side that was mentioned earlier, which I'm excited to see equipment manufacturers starting to put calculators to help measure axial length, project, educate parents. So as we make this part of how we do business and not a separate subspecialty that requires quite a bit of work, uh, that's exciting to me because it means we've embraced it. This industry moves slow. Frankly, I've been in it 20 years and we can't afford to wait 20 years to help these kids. Uh, it's not like presbyopia where, you know, hey, we don't have a presbyopia solution. You accommodate, you do what you need to do. Um, the time to treat kids is now. Uh, when they're young, when you can actually have an impact on this axial length. So uh, having the entire industry, not just the product ma makers, support this initiative is, is exciting. And I think that's that's happening as we speak. Yeah. To recap here, I think the uh, the, the, the the panel shares uh, some information about the low-dose atropine and its benefit. And we're going to see more and more data coming around about that. Um, some question that I think kind of comes up is there are already opportunities in the atropine space. Why would we jump into that? And I, I really think Patrick did a great job lining that up. My nine-year-old daughter is on atropine, and when she puts the drop in, it doesn't sting. That concerns me because I know that that drop is likely not stable. I'm likely not getting the medication that, my, that I've prescribed, and it's not at the concentration that I have prescribed it to be. I think we're also going to see some real advancements in the contact lens world. I'm excited about that. Cooper Vision is really leading the charge with that, and new innovations is coming in that. I think where in two years we'll be, and panel, I'd love to hear your perspective, is we'll know more about myopia, how to measure it, how to track it, and how to make sure that we're being effective with our treatments, as well as its implication and how we can slow things down to slow down the progression of diseases. I think from an educational perspective, we've got a long ways to go to properly share. Matt, I'd like you to speak to this because I think one of the battles that we have is myopia management right now in the United States tends to be somewhat of an expensive uh, venture for a family and a parent. And one of the barriers is education. 
Now, Treehouse Eyes, you've got 60 locations. This is something you're all in on. How do you see we're going to improve that educational component to help parents see the value and move forward with myopia management? Yeah, there are a lot of lessons learned that we apply from orthodontia. Um, parents are happy to fork over, on average in the U.S., it's $5,500 to get your kid orthodontic braces. Uh, myopia treatment doesn't cost that much in most cases. So I think there's a three, three different layers to this. One is the broad education of this is an issue. So seeing things like the American Academy of Pediatrics website get updated, their parent-facing website a few months ago to actually talk about myopia as a disease. Uh, some of the work that GMAC's doing, just to create that little bit of awareness. And then I think we are doing a lot better job through the manufacturers of bringing tools to doctors' offices to help them educate. What I saw in the early days uh, in terms of myopia education was practitioners just making up their own patient leaflets and information and often really complicating a discussion that is more emotional for a parent. So it really mm. doesn't have to be about the clinical treatment, it needs to be about the benefits and the emotion. That's what sells uh, to parents. So I've seen the manufacturers come in with FDA-approved products now, help give practitioners tools, because practitioners aren't typically good marketers. Um, and then I think the third layer of this is really getting customized tools to educate parents. So we're getting ready to launch uh, next week a tool for all of our practices that allows text to go out with short video content that's a customized journey to educate parents even before they come into the practice um, so that it makes that discussion easier for the doctor and staff member. So I think there's a lot of layers to the education piece and we're getting better at it, but we've got to really accelerate it. And I, I would just encourage anyone who's talking to a parent about this, it's, it, for most parents, unless they're an engineer or work for the FDA, it's, it's not about the clinical component. They're, it's about the emotional piece of what you can do for my child. Yeah. Dr. Clark, I wanted to get your perspective on this. In the ophthalmology world, um, it seems as if myopia management has been something that has been evaluated and looked at for a very long time. How are you seeing myopia management go to the next level within your colleagues and uh, the ophthalmology world? There's been a pretty big change among pediatric ophthalmologists. Now, I consider us probably the most important group for the very young children because almost all pediatricians will refer a young child to a pediatric ophthalmologist and then maybe a slightly older child to an optometrist. But to give you an idea, in 2015, when I presented my study on atropine for myopia, I was not accepted by our journal. It was rejected outright, no, no opportunity for revision. You know, fast forward to this year, I gave a large uh, sub-day talk on myopia, led a panel, there's a lot of interest. The two big barriers, one is patient education. That's changed a lot since I started this year. I used to give a you know, big, long spiel. Nowadays, parents are more receptive. I can just say, hey, your child would benefit, they would do it over here. The ophthalmologists are concerned about how do they integrate into their practice? How do they counsel the patients without interrupting the workflow? And I've trained technicians. I'm taking advantage of some of the companies with their software, automatic reports that explain the risk and whatnot over here. The second one is that uh, FDA approval will be a big thing because a lot of doctors pharmaceuticals, young children, having that approval relieves their own anxiety, also decreases the discussion. They don't have to talk about this off-label use of this medication. And there's more strict rules about you know, MDs. You have to give consent and you have to explain all these things. You remove that layer that speeds things up much more rapidly. I think it's going to be a very big uptake among pediatric ophthalmology practices in the next two or three years, very large. Yeah. 
Well, as with anything that is going to grow and explode and advance in our industry, we have to have the combination of payers, we have to have the practitioners, we have to have the treatments, the FDA clearance, and then the diagnostics. Um, for, for the panel, if you can hypothesize, when I, when I look at the future of myopia, unfortunately, I think it's going to take us 15 to 20 years, as you said, Matt, for us to really be able to get all of that culminated in at the rate that eye care goes. What can we do or what needs to be done for myopia to explode to its tipping point in five years rather than that 20 years that you mentioned? Yeah, maybe, uh, David, I'll, I'll kind of start, you know. Uh, well, Cooper Vision has a vested interest in it happening sooner than later. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, more than just uh, Cooper Vision's vested interest, I think it's the vested interest of hundreds of millions Absolutely. of children uh, across the world. Uh, and, and I think uh, today the products are available. You know, and I take some of the lessons, you know, uh, for the last um, many years, I was trying to drive, you know, the premium IOL category for ophthalmologists in terms of trying to similar analog or like orthodontia, which, you know, Matt talked about. It's really uh, starts with the ECPs, you know, the, both the ophthalmologists and optometrists. I think, you know, having them embrace, as Dr. Clark talked about, you know, it's the pediatric ophthalmologist community embracing it. The barriers are really kind of at the practice level solving that, which will explode it. Uh, we'll have more products come in. We'll have more efficacious product come in uh, from that perspective. But I think just you know, having them, providing them the tools like uh, Matt's company is doing to you know, have them set up. Um, more uh, bigger players coming into the beyond uh, Cooper Vision uh, into that and hel helping drive that category growth and awareness, I think is going to explode it. Um, in, and, and managed care, I think I see a lot of, you know, I think, uh, Patrick, you talked about CDC, and I see the managed care coming in. Uh, it's children. Uh, the managed care will, will eventually jump in. That, can, that will probably drive a disruptive or discontinuous growth in the category as well. So some of those factors, I think, you know, but I, to me, it's for us, the focus is the ECP and helping them actually drive that. Yeah. Well, I think Clark. one of the key parts is going to be the professional societies here. The two things that can really accelerate this area here is one is to have these policy statements that myopia is a disease. It's analogous to hypertension. Hypertension is increased pressure. It puts a lot of pressure on your structure, so it's a disease, but it's also a risk factor. Myopia is considered a risk factor right now, not a disease, but it's actually both. It actually puts pressure in all the systems. It is an increased risk for other problems as well. And so once it's recognized as a condition that's covered by medical treatments, then a lot of the cost barriers will go away, especially for the lower income people. Yeah, the covered service can come in for your myopia management, but it's a paid medical visit. It's not just a out-of-pocket expense here. Yeah, right. absolutely. And you know, from a clinical perspective, Dr. Clark, you can probably speak to this as well. I think one of the things that has really moved me along is to stop thinking about myopia as a refractive error, but rather an eye-stretching disease. And that's where, you know, Jonathan, I, I want to, you know, give you some credit for what TopCon is doing is helping us understand axial length and eyeball growth, right? And in a clinical practice, when I see somebody has a minus three, that says something to me, but when I see that their eyeball is 29 millimeters in size and they're approaching that 30 millimeter uh, arena of high risk factors, it really speaks to us in the clinical stage. In closing, I was hoping that I could get 
a little bit of investment advice. And what I want to know is what are some investment opportunities, some growth areas that you see happening in the myopia space in the coming five years? What are some things that uh, either we want to be looking at developing or we want to be looking at investing in uh, in this arena? Yeah, you know, I'm asking uh, for some stock tips here from my uncle, right? Yeah, uh, you know, I think you know, for for uh, there is there is a huge opportunity out there. Um, it's, it's as as you look at it, a um, lot of lot of the panelists have talked about it. The pre presenters talked about it. It's like the amount of uh, unmet need out there is just tremendous. Uh, we have some solutions out there, so there's a huge investment need in the just innovation uh, as well. There is a huge investment need in, like, I think, you know, helping the practices, uh, coming up with, like, you know, the diagnostic tools, helping them sh teach the, the parents and helping them establish uh, how this whole ecosystem. So I think from those two perspectives where I see the biggest need, like, you know, driving more and more innovation as well as more and more helping the practices. Good. Yeah, I'll jump in maybe. I think that the the great thing about this space is there's so many small companies mm -hmm. that are in early stage whether it's red light therapy novacite uh Sodexa, some of these companies so if you're an investor whether it be strategic uh whether you're private equity venture capital etc um making bets in this space uh, orthodontic care is 15 billion dollars a year um business so yeah. i think looking at some of these earlier stage companies they're still relatively small can probably be acquired uh, you know, relatively reasonable valuations um, and making bets before Rajiv buys them. Yeah. You know, I think uh, the myopia space right now is kind of the Wild West. And we do have railroads that are built already that are there. And we just need to have companies and practitioners piggybacking off the railroad that's driving us out there to really be able to conquer and, uh, and, and do a really good job of helping wrangle in this myopia that is out there. I want to thank the panel for their uh, presentation and their uh, great insights. And uh, again, thank you for coming to this session. Thank you.